Well, good morning. My name is Mike Henson, and I'm a member of the Catalyst team here at Daybreak. And uh, I'm going to talk to you today about, we're, gonna, we're in the second week of our new series, When Love Speaks. Today we're going to talk about what Christ said to the thief on the cross. And I just want to start today just by saying how humbled I am to be able to come up here and speak to you. I've spoken a couple times at the, the other campus, and this is my second time speaking here. And it is such a joy for me to be able to come and, and share God's word with you. So thank you for that opportunity. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and get your yellowish gold outline out of your program guide. So today we're looking at what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. And what he said was, today you will be with me in paradise. And from this one simple statement, we can learn important truths about life after death, God's mercy, and about heaven. And I started thinking about this word paradise as I was preparing for this message and how we use the word paradise so frequently in our culture. I mean, when you think of paradise, what do you normally think of? Think about that. I usually think of vacation. Like when somebody asked me, how was, how was your trip to the beach? Like my wife and I, we love to go to Cape May. So somebody, how was Cape May? I said, it was paradise. Or we'll use that maybe to describe a day that you have to yourself, where your life has been crazy, you got your spouse, you got your kids, your job's going nuts, and finally, you have a day of rest, and that day was paradise. Or maybe you're an 80s kid, and you remember that song, Almost Paradise. Almost Paradise. You know, not, I don't know the words, really, because I'm not that old, but it... Uh, <laughs> Something about paradise. So I thought, I want to tell you a paradise story. I'm going to tell you my paradise story. When my wife and I were preparing for our wedding, we were trying to save money for our honeymoon. And we didn't have very much because we were in college and we were broke. And so we were trying to put a couple dollars a month aside. And we were looking forward to perhaps a week-long stay at Pinchot Park because... You know, like at the Days Inn in Lewisbury. Uh, we just, we didn't know what we were going to do. And I have an aunt who called me and said, I want to pay for your honeymoon. And it, it just blew us away. And now there's this sort of awkwardness, like, do we pick the place or does she pick the place? And so she said, how about Maui? Yeah, and I, I didn't even know. I was like, wasn't that that cat we had that died when I was a kid? Uh, Maui. Um, she's like, no, Maui, Hawaii, we've been there. It's gorgeous. I want to I give you a trip to Maui. If you can pay to get there, I'll pay for the stay. We're like, that's unbelievable. And then my parents said, well, our wedding gift to you will be that we'll pay for your tickets. So they bought our tickets. And so here we are. We have this little bit of money saved up for a trip. And now the whole trip, including the transportation, is paid for. And so when we got to Maui, we just used that money and we lived like kings. There's this place in Maui called Wailea. It's this real upscale resort where we did not stay. But we went and visited. And they had 
they have all these shops, and they're really high-end shops. And so there's a circle of them, and there's like Gucci and Louis Vuitton and Tiffany and all this stuff. And my wife's like, well, let's, let's go in the coach store. So we walk into the coach store, and it's not the coach outlet like Hershey, okay? It's the coach store. All right, and we walk in, and I'm feeling strong and tall because I got some cash. My 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 wife's like, "Oh, look at this purse! This is gorgeous!" And I'm like, "Excuse me, we'll take this purse right here." No, not this one. A new one from the back. I was that guy. Okay, we just lived like kings for a week, and pretty much never again after that. But for that week, you know, we didn't deserve that trip to paradise. But somebody offered to pay for it simply because they loved us and they wanted to be gracious towards us. And today we're going to look at how Jesus offered paradise to someone who truly didn't deserve it. And if you're like me, you're probably a little tired right now because you lost an hour of sleep last night. And so I just want to pray real quickly to ask God to just help us focus this morning. Would you pray with me for a second? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would just help us focus this morning. Help us home in on the teachings that you have for us. Speak to us today, God, and teach us whatever it is that you desire to teach us. Help us to focus, God. We pray it in your name. Amen. If you haven't done so already, as I say, go ahead and get out your outline. And we're actually going to dive right into the first point today. So this statement, today you will be with me in paradise. What kind of questions does this statement answer? And the first blank in your outline is from the cross, Jesus answers the question, what happens immediately after I die? What happens immediately after I die? We have a chunk of scripture here in your outline. And we have some overlap from last week because this whole series is about the last words of Christ while he was hanging on the cross. So last week, Pastor Joel talked about, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And we're just going to, we're going to move a little beyond that today. So I'm going to read this passage to you and follow along with me if you would. Two others, both criminals, were led led out to be executed with him, with Jesus. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Usually, when we see 
a picture of the crosses. You know, we see sometimes, like, with the, when we play the worship songs, in the background there might be a picture of three crosses. And usually we assume that the one in the center, which is typically the bigger one, is the one on which Jesus was hanging. And then on either side of him were the thieves. And if you can picture their point of view, it's actually the painting that we have up on the wall here, and it's also sort of faintly in the background of this slide as well. That was sort of their view of Jesus. They were looking down their arms at each other. And it's important to notice that both of these men were an equal distance from Jesus. And in this moment, both of them had a decision to make. Spend eternity with Jesus or spend eternity without him. And one thief chose to be separated from Jesus. And when he did that, he chose his destination. The other thief chose to reach out to Jesus in faith and ultimately in humility. And Jesus told this man that not only had he chosen his destination, but that a place was already waiting for him. Jesus didn't favor one man over the other. In fact, we could go the other way and say he actually honored them because he honored their ability to make their own decisions and choose their destination. He gave them what they asked for. One man said, I want nothing to do with you. And another man said, remember me. As much as we want to spiritualize this, and I could talk about the, you know, the remembrance and what does that mean, and we could get into the ontology, the nature of heaven. By the end of the day, if we're being honest, all three of these men would be dead. All three of these guys were dying on their crosses. And have you ever found yourself wondering what happens immediately after you die? What is going to happen right after I die? I'm sure that those thieves were thinking about it. At least one of them was, we know for sure. I think that the one who was mocking Jesus may have actually been in a bit of denial about what was going on. Do you know that most people don't even consider the fact that they are going to die until they go to a funeral? It's usually when you're at a funeral that you acknowledge, oh, I... I guess I am going to die someday. And you might think, well, it's morbid to think about death. It doesn't seem natural. But really, it's unhealthy to live a life not acknowledging the inevitable, to deny death. One day, my heart will stop beating. And my time on earth will be over. And it will be the end of my body. But it won't be the end of me. The Bible says that my earthly body, it's just a temporary residence for my spirit. And while my life on this earth offers me a ton of different choices and paths that I can take, eternity only offers me two paths, heaven or hell, the presence of God or the separation from him. And my relationship with God here on earth will determine my relationship to him in eternity. If I learn to love and trust God's son, Jesus, I'll be invited to spend the rest of eternity with him. That's an amazing thought. 
And Paul, when he's talking about heaven in 2 Corinthians, you have this verse in your outline. He says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. You know, Rick is preaching at the other campus today and when we were preparing this message, we came to this verse and we both said the same thing. Is This is kind of, it seems a little strange, doesn't it? It almost seems like Paul is saying, I would rather die than be here. And it made me think of when I first started coming to Daybreak. And I think I was about 16 or 17. And this is when Daybreak was back in the strip mall across town. And I went to a youth group service. And Mel Hendrickson gave the message that day. And the message was all about heaven and life after death. What happens after we die. And death was not a topic that I wanted to think about. Let alone talk about. Or hear this person who's very bubbly and happy, speak about. And so at the end of the message, in her Mel Hendrickson way, she said something like, and you know, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm almost excited to see my own death and, 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 and make that transition. And I remember, you know, I'm not, I don't know what this is all about. I leaned over to my friend Ben, who brought me to daybreak, and I said, this chick's crazy. And that, that's how I felt it. I was like, what kind of wacky place is this that they're excited for death? If someone had handed me a glass of punch in that moment, I would have never come back. <laughs> but in time, I learned what it meant to become a Christ follower. And the longer that I'm on this journey, the more that I can not only acknowledge my own death, but I'm okay with it. Because the answer to the question, what happens after I die, it's pretty simple. You either immediately enter the presence of God, or you don't. And when you die, there is this wonderful place where you can go to be with the Lord. It's easy to hear that, but if you're like me, I like to figure things out. I like to know things for sure. I need to have some assurance. And so how can we be assured of this? And that, that's the second point in your outline, is Jesus answers this question from the cross, can I be assured of heaven? The criminal looks over to Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks over at him with blood dripping down his face because he's just been beaten. And he says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. When I think about these two different thieves on the cross, I find that it's easy for me to compare and contrast myself to these thieves, depending on what mood I'm in. See if you can relate to this at all. Sometimes, if I'm feeling especially holy and pious, and this is usually how I stand when I'm feeling that way, I'll think, you know, at least I'm not as bad as the thief. I mean, I've never committed any crimes. I've never murdered anyone. I've never done anything that wrong. So what's the big deal? And there's other times where I'm feeling sinful and down on myself, and I'll think, you know, I am such a screw-up. 
and I am so sinful. And how could this wonderful God ever want me? I'm just like the thief. Can you relate to either of those ways of thinking? I think both of these paradigms are dangerous. Because what they do is they leave the gradation of sin in my hands. As if somehow it's my job to decide how bad my sin really is. Well, this sin's a 2, but this one's a 10. That one's really bad. And so I think the realization that I need to have is not, am I better or worse than the thief on the cross? I know that the realization that I need to have is that I am the thief on the cross. And you are the thief on that cross. Because the truth is, I am a sinful person. And whether I think that my sins are are great or small, the very fact that I'm sinful earns me a spot on the cross right next to Jesus. From the moment that that you were born, you were sinful. I mean, it's... Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, and from that moment on, sin was written into the DNA of mankind. That sentence was set, and it said, someone has to die for sin. So the decision that you have to make is not, are you as bad as the thief? You are the thief. The decision that you have to make is, which thief will you be? Because you can be the thief who wants nothing to do with Jesus. Or you can be the thief who reaches out to him with his dying breath because he knows he's condemned. If you're here and and if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower, you might be thinking, I need to get it all together before I make that step. I got some sin in my life and I have to fix that first. But that's not the case. Notice that when the thief said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom, what did Jesus not say? He didn't say, well, before I say yes, I have some criteria. And have you been baptized? He he didn't ask ask questions. He didn't challenge the guy. He saw that this man was reaching toward him, and he offered him paradise. He looked at a man who just turned to him in his last moment, and somehow that was enough. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was at Pastor Rick's house, and I was sitting in his living room, and we were talking about the Bible and God and Jesus, and I said to him sort of that that same sentiment. I said, Rick, I, I need to fix all this before I come to know Jesus. I have so much sin in my life. I have screwed up in so many different ways. Let me get it all together and make it right, and then I'll become a Christian. And Rick gave me some very freeing words. He said, Mike, if you try to fix all of your sin before you come to Jesus, I promise you, you will never get there. What if you just ask Jesus to forgive you of that sin, and then you let him take care of the rest? And on that day, in the midst, in the middle of my sin, I asked Jesus to remember me in his kingdom. 
And Jesus' words to the thief on the cross became true for me on that day. That even as a criminal, which is how I viewed myself, was dying for his crimes, Jesus offered me salvation. And if you're here and you're thinking that same thought of, yeah, that's me. I, I really want to love God. I want to be close to him, but my sin's holding me back. I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Simply ask him to remember you in his kingdom. That can be something as simple as saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of that sin and could you please teach me how to love you better? The best part is, you already know what the answer is going to be. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Literally today, you can change your eternal destination and those words become true for you. On this day, paradise can be yours. And we see in Jesus, in his, in his dying words, we see what we saw throughout his whole life in the Gospels. He wanted to save people. He came proclaiming this God of a second chance. And this thief had such a tiny faith, but somehow that was enough. And the good news is that God shows this same great mercy to every single one of us. Paul says it like this in Ephesians. He says, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. You don't deserve paradise. I don't deserve paradise, but God offers it to us because he loves us. And Jesus knew when they were hanging on these crosses that this thief needed assurance. And so he offered it to him. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And he knows that we need assurance. So how do we, how do, we do that? You have a verse in your outline from Romans there. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you underline the words confess and believe? Okay, so I, I do that. I confess it with my mouth. I say it. I, be, I, I believe it in my heart. I, I'm going to ask God to fix my sins on his own time. And I have assurance. I have something to look forward to now. But have you ever wondered, what is it? What is it exactly that we're looking forward to? And that answers our third question in our outline, which is, what has God prepared for me. What has God prepared for me? Well, Jesus told the criminal, you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, so he's prepared paradise. And at one point in the Gospels, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going, to the, I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, 
I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Let's underline that. I am going to prepare a place for you. Okay, so he told his disciples that something was being prepared. He told the thief that it was going to be paradise. So what is paradise? Well, I'm an English teacher by trade, and I love etymology. Etymology is the study of words. And I can see my small group already laughing at me because they hate when I go off on a tangent during Bible study about the etymology of the word, you know, trust or whatever it is. But I looked up the etymology of paradise, and it's pretty interesting. The Greek word for paradise comes from a Persian word that used to be used in ancient times, Old Testament and before, to refer to a king's garden. That's what it literally means, the king's garden. And, and what it was is when a king would have a palace or a fortress or whatever it was, he would have literally a walled-in garden that would have exotic vegetation, a lot of different tall trees, and often they would build waterfalls into these gardens that when it would rain, they would have these little natural uh, waterfalls, and they were just beautiful. And I love this picture of paradise, this king's garden. Through Jesus, we're invited to enter this garden. And, you know, we can savor his paradise with him. I thought when I was in Maui that that was paradise. But the thought of spending eternity in the king's garden with people who I love, without hate or violence or stress or anxiety, that sounds like paradise to me. And the more I read about this word, I found that over time, the meaning of the word started to change. And the Jews adopted this word and started using it to refer to the Garden of Eden. And so Eden was, after all, the king's garden. It was God's holy garden. And Adam and Eve, we know they were expelled from the garden because they disobeyed God. And human beings were forbidden from ever entering that garden again. And paradise in that moment was lost to humankind. And so when I think about heaven as paradise, I think the Bible calls heaven paradise because it's the restoration of the kingdom that God intended for us. I'll say that again. Paradise is the restoration of the kingdom that God intended for us. And if you look through the Bible, it's surprisingly sparse in its descriptions of heaven. There isn't much there. We do have this verse from Revelation, which I think captures it pretty well. I'm going to read that to you. It's in your outline. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That's paradise. And as I was looking for verses about heaven, I thought there's got to be more. That, somebody has to have written a, a more detailed idea of heaven because there just isn't much in the Bible. And so Rick and I were looking around. We found there's a book called Heaven appropriately, by Randy Alcorn. We have it out here in our, in our ministry central. 
And so he talks about what he thinks heaven will look like. And I'm going to just read this description for you. And if you would just listen to this, I think it's a very just vivid picture of what heaven might be like. Randy Alcorn says, Heaven will have no death, no suffering, no funeral homes, abortion clinics, or psychiatric wards, no rape, no missing children, no drug rehab centers, no bigotry or muggings or killings, no worry or depression or economic downturns, no wars and no unemployment, no anguish over failure and miscommunication, no con men, no death, no locks, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, no disabilities, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds to pull, no bombs to go off, no drunkenness, no traffic jams or accidents, no septic tank backups. I mean, that alone. No mental illness, no unwanted emails. Close friendships, but no clicks. Laughter, but no put-downs. Intimacy, but no temptation to immorality. No hidden agendas, no backdoor deals, no betrayals. Imagine mealtimes full of stories and laughter and joy without fear of insensitivity or inappropriate behavior or anger or gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that eclipses paradise. That will be heaven. There won't be any churches or temples in the new earth, and not because they're bad, but because they won't be necessary. We won't need to be drawn into God's presence. We'll live there constantly and consciously. We'll thank God profoundly and worship and praise Him together, whether we're working in the garden, singing, riding bikes, or drinking coffee. And there will be coffee in heaven. And I, it, in my mind, and he literally wrote that here. I'm not making that up. And in my mind, I see it as like Starbucks coffee that you don't have to take out a second mortgage to buy. You know, that's paradise. But even with all of these great ideas, we still don't know, do we? We don't know exactly what it's going to be like. And perhaps the most important thing about heaven can be summarized in a parable that I read once. It's about a doctor who makes house calls, and he takes his dog with him. And so one time he's making a house call, and he leaves his dog on the front porch of his patient's house. And as soon as he walks in the house, the dog starts to scratch on the door because he wants to come in. And so the doctor's in talking to his patient who's on his deathbed, and the man says to the doctor, Doc, what's heaven like? And the doctor says, I don't know. But do you hear that scratching sound? That's my dog. And he wants to come in here. He doesn't know what's on the other side of the door. He's never been inside your house. All he knows is that his master is in here. And if his master is in here, it must be okay. Ultimately, it's paradise because we are with God. The Apostle Paul said this about heaven. He said, No eye has seen, 
nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I know I'm on an underlining role today, but this one more. What God has prepared for those who love him. Underline that, circle it, whatever you need to do to make it stand out to you. So much of the time we live like this life is all that there is. We try to create heaven here on earth. We try to make our life here paradise. Do you know that if Jesus died about 2,000 years ago, we are the first 100-year period from 1900 to now. We're that first generation of Christians who does not look forward to heaven. We don't anticipate it. We don't speak of it. We don't pray about it. We don't sing about it as much as, as older generations of Christians. We've gotten so comfortable with our lives here that we actually don't believe that there could be anything better. So we put all of our stock in the hundred years or less that we have here on earth. But when you fully comprehend that there is more to life than just the here and the now, and you realize that life is preparation for eternity, you begin to live a little differently, don't you? Your values change. You use your time and your money differently. You place a greater weight on relationships and on character than you do on fame or wealth or achievement or even fun. You realize that you don't belong here. This is not your home. And you start living for the eternal paradise that God has prepared for you instead of trying to create a temporary one here. And to make the most of our lives, we have to keep that picture of eternity forefront in our minds and keep the value of it sacred in our hearts. One day, your heart will stop beating. And that will be the end of your time on earth. That will be the end of your body. But it won't be the end of you. And while we have so many different choices and paths that we can take here, eternity offers two. Heaven or hell. Proximity to God, presence of God, or separation from him. And I know that these concepts are not things that we like to talk about in modern Christendom. We don't even like to say the word hell, but, but we need to. Because your relationship with God on earth determines your relationship to him forever. And if I reject God's love and forgiveness and salvation, I will spend eternity apart from him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Tragically, many people will have to endure eternity without God because they chose to live without him here on earth. On the other hand, if you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you choose to love him, then he has prepared paradise for you. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to close with a prayer today 
And I want to encourage you to turn your ear to God. And if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to ask God if it's time for you to turn your sin over to him and secure your place in paradise. And if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, you would call yourself a Christian, then I want to encourage you to ask God to reveal to you where your heart is right now in terms of how you view paradise. Are you trying to create a paradise here? Or are you looking forward to the true paradise that God has created for you? God, we need assurance today. We need to know that not only do we go somewhere when we die, but God, we can be with you when we immediately arrive. Father, if there is anyone here today who has not made this commitment for you, if they're having doubts, if they're struggling with sin, God, I pray that you would give them the assurance that they, sec- they can secure their spot in paradise. And God, for those who do know you, I pray that you would convict our hearts that we may look forward to the paradise that you've prepared for us instead of trying to prepare and create our own paradise here and now. We love you, Lord. We ask all of these things in the precious, holy name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Sometimes it feels like I'm watching from the outside. Sometimes it feels like I'm breathing. Am I alive? I won't keep searching for answers that aren't here to find. down on me and when I'm lost in the current of a raging sea I have this blessed assurance holding me When the earth
an incredible reminder of the fact that this isn't where we belong. And one day we will be home. Um, this is the moment in the service when we always ask you to take out the white card. And we take just a few minutes for you to reflect on what it was that God wanted to you, you to remember from the message today. Maybe you're somebody who's been exploring for a long time. And this morning, as God spoke through Mike and he reminded you that you can be assured of where you'll spend eternity and you can make that change in course today, immediately, maybe God stirred in your heart to say, today is the day. I had a great friend who pushed God at arm's length all of his life had wanted nothing to do with him and in the last three weeks of his life during a, a horrible fight with kidney cancer he made the decision to turn his heart to Christ and he went into eternity to meet him at the end of those three weeks and his wife and I always when we look at those three crosses think about how close he came to being the one who said, I don't want him. So maybe that's where you are this morning and you're making that decision. Or maybe you're just going, wow, living my life here, knowing that this isn't it, this isn't all there is, that one day I'll be with him, makes things special. I don't know what it is for you, but take a few minutes to just write on the card whatever it is that God's spoken to your heart. If you'd like to have somebody pray with you, if you make your way back through the back of the auditorium and down the hall, there's a prayer room there. Someone will be glad to answer questions and pray with you.